there is something going on. Next month, we are going to dedicate the month to a month of prayer. And so just get ready for it. I think, well, I know every Thursday night, we're going to have a night of prayer at our, hosted at our house. So more details to come, but just know I didn't, I didn't get that out yet. But we're going to be doing that. We really need to focus this new year on, on relying on God for all things, for our own individual growth, for growth in the church body, and just anything. So be praying about that. We'd like you to attend. It's just going to be one month every Thursday night at our house. And then also next month, John doesn't know this, but we're going to be teaching on prayer every Sunday. It's a topical study throughout the month before we get back to Romans in February. So I'm excited about that. And so as Mike prayed, let's pray again and ask God to bless our time together. Lord God, we are, again, so thankful for all that you've done for us. And Lord God, the great thing is that it did not end once you came to this earth. It continues, Father God, as we are now living as your children, and you are our king in the kingdom of God, and we look forward to that kingdom that will come again literally to this earth. And we ask, Lord God, until that happens, that we would be about your business, glorifying you, Lord God. And we ask this morning that you would teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll open up to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Like I said, we're taking a little detour. Uh, we're not going to start in prayer yet. But this is going to kind of lead us to that, to that point. Every Christmas, I, I make it my own little personal tradition to read the Christmas carol. Does anybody read that or read that before? Not just watch the movie, but actually read it. It's, for me, as someone that doesn't read fiction that often, it's very well written. And there's one, there's one quote that I like, and I'm going to read it to you this morning. Because after, if you know the story, Ebenezer Scrooge, after he's been taken, you know, through the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future and sees that he could still change his future if he changes the way that he lives, he says this. He says, I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. So he learned something at seeing, you know, his past, his present, and his future. He's going to try to keep Christmas all year round. And if you read that story, you know, it, it really, there's undertones about Jesus Christ, but it's just really about being a good person, which isn't bad at all. Hey, great for Ebenezer Scrooge. And we should all, you know, be good for the glory of God. But keeping Christmas, what does that mean? Again, to him, it just meant being a better person, not being so miserly and stingy. But we as Christians, we really know the meaning of what it means to, Chris, to keep Christmas all year round. I hope you do, because I think Christians are truly the only ones who really keep Christmas all year round. If you think about it, well, you might say, well, why? Why do we do that or how do we do that? Well, because we're the ones worshiping Jesus all year round. The world, for a short time, maybe they don't know it, they're singing songs about the baby Jesus and the love of God and peace and goodwill to all men. Again, even on secular radio stations, they're praising Jesus Christ and, and praise God for that. But we do it every Sunday, if not every day, which we can do. Even in our worship songs, every Sunday morning, we're praising God, we're praising Him for the gift. So I think, in essence, we are the ones that keep Christmas all year round. And not only that, because we're the ones who the gift has been given to and we've received it. That's the only true way that you can keep Christmas is by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
again, and we are the only ones who share this, the true good news of the gospel with other people, and we truly understand what it means to have peace with God. So I want to transition from that understanding is, well, what do we do now? And, and this morning, my message is titled, What Now? Kind of like Scrooge is like, okay, what do I do now? He kind of knew, in essence, what now? Now that he's going to live, he's going to change. He doesn't have to let Christmas be a one-time event. He's going to try to do it all year round. And we, too, as Christians, as I said, we're better apt than anybody else to keep it all year round. But how do we do that? Well, I think the story in Acts answers that question. So let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to read the first 11 verses. And if you don't know what's going on in the book of Acts, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And he's going to give his last direction to the disciples who are standing there. On basically how to live now that he has gone. You know, Christmas has come and gone. What now? I hope you can see the relation that I'm trying to make here. So let's read the account of Luke. And it says this in the book of Acts. The first account, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven after he had had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen so luke is saying hey theophilus if you know theophilus is it's the book that was written luke was written to theophilus and this is a continuation of the gospel of luke he's continually writing to this man named theophilus but all that jesus did so he's continuing on here he says to these being the disciples that jesus chosen he also presented himself alive after his suffering so after the crucifixion and by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, Is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times are epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back, excuse me, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And so that's the account of Jesus' ascension. And so again, with what I started with, how do we keep Christmas all year round? How do we do that? And again, I think this story has the key, if you saw it. So let's go back to verse, uh, the first section of verses 1 through 5. After the resurrection, it said Jesus had appeared to them for a duration of 40 days. So for 40 days, and some of it's recorded in the Gospels, Jesus appeared to his disciples. Jesus presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. Do you ever notice that in Acts? He had to convince 
the disciples that, hey, it's truly me. I've risen from the dead. No one's ever seen that. We've never seen it since then, and some still don't believe it. But for 40 days, Jesus had to convince his own disciples, it's really me. You know, and that's a, I mean, be honest. How many of us would really, we'd be like, are you sure? Is that really you? Or am I seeing things? So he says, with convincing proofs, for 40 days, he appeared to them. Not only that, look at verse 3. Jesus taught them the things concerning the kingdom. So there's a period between his resurrection and this time where Jesus, every time he appeared to them probably, he was teaching disciples concerning the kingdom of God. The things that they were to go and teach, which is all recorded in the book of Acts for the most part. And these are the things that have come down to us, these things of the kingdom. And thirdly, Jesus told them to wait for the promise in verse 5 or verse 4. He says, the father promised you something. Now you're going to go to Jerusalem and wait for it. And that was the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. See, unlike us who now live in the new, you know, the kingdom of God, so to speak. Well, we live in the kingdom of God and we're still waiting for it. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this or maybe it was last Sunday. The Holy Spirit comes upon us as new believers. But at that time, it had not yet come, even though they were followers of Christ. It happens instantaneously for us, but it didn't for them yet. And so they had to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? So Jesus tells his disciples, go wait for the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes, the first question they have is, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? This is what they had been waiting for. And over this past month, we've been teaching on that. Everybody's waiting for the Messiah, the literal reestablishment of Israel as a world you know, power, so to speak, or their own kingdom, no longer under oppression. And so even though Jesus has died and rose again, the disciples are still asking, are you going to do it now? And that's understandable because all the Old Testament prophecies said when the Messiah came, as we studied, he's going to reign and rule forever. <clears throat> and so they're still looking for that. Is this it? Is Israel going to be restored to past glory? Is this the time that Jesus will rule and reign as king? And it's interesting to note that he's been teaching them about the kingdom up to this point, and I'm sure he would have explained that, but maybe they still missed it. I'm not sure. They were still looking for the literal kingdom of God. And what does he say to them? What's his answer? Does he tell them when it's going to happen? He says this, it is not for you to know. How many of you wish Jesus would have told them the date? I do. Just tell us what it is, and we wouldn't have people debating over it all the time, right? When is it going to happen? Because he doesn't say it's not going to happen. He just said it's not for you to know. Don't you hate when your parents do that, those of you that are still living at home? Can I go? When can I go? It's not time for you to know. I'm going to use that on my kids. It's not... (laughs) For you, it's not, to, oh, don't worry about it, as I was told as a kid. <laughs> it's not for you to know. <clears throat> See how that works. So that's what he tells them. It's not for you to know. But instead, he tells them to focus on something else. He says this in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The purpose, Jesus told him, your purpose is not to worry about when I'm coming back, but to focus on being my witness. That's what your mission is. And a witness is a person, at least it has its use in the book of Acts, a person who's observed an act or an event. So the disciples have all seen all these miracles that Jesus have done, and they are to testify, to tell other people about them. That's what a witness is. They see something, they witness something, they experience something, and they go and tell other people about it. He's saying, this is going to be your mission, disciples. And if you've read the book of Acts, that's what they do throughout, throughout the book of Acts. The New Testament that we hold is exactly that. It's a witness to the works of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And where were they to do this? Well, in Jerusalem, which is the city that they were in. So it's localized. Do it in your own city. And then spread out. Go to the surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. At that time would have been the known king or the known world of Rome. Obviously, they didn't know about North America and South America, I don't think. Maybe they knew a little bit about Asia, the rest of Asia, I say. But for the most part, they were saying, just spread the gospel to the world that we know about. And as you read, again, the book of Acts, you'll see that they did that. And obviously, the gospel spread because of we're a testimony to that, to the remotest parts. And so then after that, that's all that he says, and he's, Ascends to heaven, verses 9 through 11 record that. And then as he ascends, look at what the two men say, which are probably angels, angelic beings. They say, Jesus is going to return in the same way that you see him ascend. So he ascends to heaven. They're telling him and remind that Jesus is coming back a second time in the same way. Jesus' return will be visible everybody will see it and that's recorded throughout the new testament when jesus comes everyone will know that jesus came there is no secret return of jesus christ a lot of cults say there are you may or may not be familiar with the jehovah witnesses said he came back secretly in 1914 and now he rules through the watchtower and track society nobody can prove that he didn't right he came there are a few different religions who claim that, that he appeared in bodily form as their leader and started new religions. Most cults start that way as well. Even those that hold up compounds and say, I'm the, re- the manifestation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible doesn't say stuff like that. It says when he comes, he will come visible and everybody will see it. <clears throat> so with that said, You may be wondering, okay, well, how does that relate to us? How do we keep Christmas, you know, all year round according to that story? I hope you can see that the power is in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we keep Christmas? Again, the Christmas message isn't that Jesus came and was born. doesn't stop there. It was he came to die for the sins of men, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again. That's the message of Christmas. And it's recorded here in Acts that the church's mission is to go out and proclaim that. We again are told to be witnesses for him. Right? It's not our mission to do what? According to the book of Acts. To worry about when he's going to return. 
The only thing the Bible says about his return is it's going to be visible and we should be ready for it. The mission of the church is not to figure out the dates. Every time, if you've noticed that somebody says they know when Christ is returning, they've been wrong. And when they're wrong, then they say, well, it's a secret coming. You didn't see it. Every time they've been wrong. And it it frustrates me. I'm going to get on my uh, soapbox for a little bit. When churches are constantly proclaiming that message as their only message. In, in a sense, it's a little bit of a scare tactic to get a non-believer to get ready and right with the Lord. And that's fine, but that's not your, your whole ministry should not be based on that. They keep saying, well, we're living in the last days. We are li- we've been living in the last days since Christ came. That inaugurated the last days. In essence, they're trying to say, like, this is the end, this is the end, and trying to scare people. And then when that doesn't happen, they walk away. So they never truly made a real commitment, and that's my frustration with ministries like that. <clears throat> or they say the return of Christ is closer than it has ever been. Well, every minute we live, it's closer than it has ever been, isn't it? It's coming. We agree. We're looking forward to it. But that's not the church's ministry. That's not the church's main purpose to proclaim or figure out the date of the return of Christ. It's to proclaim the gospel. That's our mission. And that's how we keep Christmas all year long. By telling everybody about the son who came and died for us. So how do we accomplish that mission? Well, the same way Jesus told the early church, wait upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to do that. So how do we accomplish this? Be filled with the Spirit of God. I like this quote uh, by one commentator. He says, an effective witness can only be born when the Spirit is, or where the Spirit is, And where the Spirit is, effective witness will always follow. So how do we get the Holy Spirit? I mentioned earlier, if you're a believer, you already have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for a special blessing of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us, as we've been studying, that every believer, so if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Romans 8, verse 9 says this, However, you are not in the flesh, he's speaking to the church, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. So you either have the Spirit of God and you're a believer, or you don't have the Spirit of God and you don't belong to Christ. So you don't get a, uh, you have to wait later for a blessing of the Holy Spirit. You have them. I have them. So we can check that off already. We have the Holy Spirit, so we can be an effective witness. Number one, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God, which every believer in the church is. From this time in Acts on, you are filled with the Spirit of God. So then why aren't we effective witnesses, you might be asking yourself, or I ask myself that sometimes. If I have the Spirit of God living in me, then why am I not, you know, like bringing the masses You know, the people that I talk to, why don't they come to Christ? Well, obviously, it's not me that leads people to Christ. It's God, and God needs to soften their hearts and open their ears. But I need to get out of the way. I need to be available for the Spirit of God to work. So how do we accomplish this mission? Number one, be filled with the Spirit of God. Again, each and every believer has that. Secondly, be led by the Spirit. And let me give you two references and what I'm talking about. 
Turn to the book of Ephesians with me. We're going to look at two verses that can help us understand what it means to be led by the Spirit. Is that some like supernatural out-of-body experience when you're led by the Spirit? Obviously, I'm going to say no, that's not what he's talking about. When you're led by the Spirit, it basically real simply boils down to is that you're being obedient to God. That's when you're being led by the Spirit. Look at what um, Ephesians 4 verse 30 says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we sin against the Lord, when we're disobedient to the Lord. We're grieving the Holy Spirit of God, and then we're not led by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 also tells us this. So, um, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Basically, be led by the Spirit, not by something else. So when you become drunk, you're no longer in control of things. It's okay if, you know, some people are like, well, hey, I just have a drink of wine. Okay, that's fine, but don't get drunk. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. It just says don't get drunk. And if you can do that effectively, then more power to you. <clears throat> but being led by the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit of God, not by sin and not by some other substance. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. So how do we accomplish this mission of spreading the gospel of Christ, being led by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, and thirdly, seeking God, which is one of the missions of our church, right? Seek God. If you're led by the Spirit, you're seeking God. Seeking to, and what I mean by that is you're seeking to grow and mature in Christ. Not seeking like, hey, I can't find God, but seeking in the sense of growing up in your relationship with Christ, in your maturity with Christ. <clears throat> and I like that. And that's why we chose that as our mission. Is our number one mission of our church, right, is to spread the gospel. But we need to start with ourselves. We need to grow in our understanding of the gospel, grow in our relationship with Christ, and become stronger in it, mature in it. And, you, and we all do that in anything that we want to do well, right, whether it's sports or academics or a hobby. You have to work at it. You have to grow and mature in it. The more time you spend at it submitting to the, and submitting to God, you will grow. The less time that you do it, you see yourself not growing, right? Again, I've, I use this example all the time with my son, Josiah. He trains uh, Taekwondo. Well, if he doesn't train, if he doesn't go to the classes, he doesn't train at home, he's not going to excel in it, right? If, if only time he practiced was when he went to Taekwondo, that wouldn't even be good enough. He has to practice at home as well. And so the same thing with our relationship with Christ. If the only time we read the word of God, we praise God, is when we come to church, well, that's good. But we need to do it on our own on a daily basis, growing and maturing in the Lord. If you're relying on the pastor, in this instance, it's me. Hey, sometimes, I'll, I'll admit it, maybe most times, I'm not that great. That great. I mean, let's be honest. I'll ask my wife. You know, she doesn't say anything. I know it wasn't that great. I'm like, oh, come on, Mindy, say something, man. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the point is, if you're only relying on a pastor to bring you the word of God, no, you need to do it more often on your own. This would supplement what you're doing on a daily basis, maturing in the gospel, maturing your relationship with Christ. That's how we accomplish this mission. 
Again, the apostles spent three years with Jesus and then an extra 40 days learning about the kingdom of God. Then they received the Holy Spirit and they went out and the kingdom of God expanded immensely. Again, if you read the book of Acts, you will see that. What else should you do to accomplish this mission? So one, you take care of yourself. You're filled with the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. You're maturing in Christ. Secondly, serve others in your church. Serve others in your church. Why? Well, we've said this over and over again, is you help others grow and mature in the faith. And you too mature in your own faith. Again, referring to my son Josiah, he's now going to be, or he started helping instruct some of the younger kids in Taekwondo, and he's getting better at it himself because he's teaching other people. And when you teach other people something, you become better at it yourself. The same thing in the church. When you're serving others in the church, you're going to be growing yourself. So serving others in the church is very important to carrying out the mission that Jesus has called the church to. Let me show you a few verses in uh, 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 12. 1 Corinthians verse 12 about serving the church. Because maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know how to serve. What do I do? How do I get involved? There's many gifts. You don't have to be a teacher of some sort. Although these, these verses will mention it quite a bit. But serving in the church is very important. Not just, you know, some people go, well, I do things outside the church. No, it, the, the, gospel, the, the writers in the, the gospels, excuse me, in the letters, they're going to tell you within the church you need to serve. Look at what it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. <clears throat> However, you were led. Therefore... I make known to you that no one speaking of the Spirit God, Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So if you notice, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God who gives the gifts, and he works them all out. He says, to, but to each one it is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, the common good within the church. So each and every believer in here has a gift that you're supposed to be using for the common good of the church to build the church up. He says, for one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, and to another faith. See, it's not just teaching, it's also faith is a gift. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by one, of the, by one Spirit. And to another, the effects of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, the interpretation excuse me, of various kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Maybe one of you has a gift of healing. That would be awesome because I need some healing right now and some other brothers and sisters need some healing. I would love to see that. I don't think the gifts are gone and they were only used in the first century. I believe they're still around today. Why don't we see them? Well, maybe we're not yielding to the Spirit enough. Maybe we're holding back. I don't know. And maybe that gift's just not available in this church and it could be in a different church. I don't know. 
But the point is, is God's given the gifts to each and every one of us to use for common good of the church. Let's skip down to verse 27. Because these aren't all. It's not just these, you know, visible gifts, so to speak. Verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church. And this is why I keep mentioning in the church. God has appointed in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings and gifts of helps. Some of you, I'm not going to call you out because I don't want to embarrass you. You have the gift of help. You are a great helper and you do a very good job of that. And this church wouldn't exist without all the people that help. I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, I see a lot, obviously, of what people do. And there's a lot of people here, if they, didn't, if they weren't part of this church and they didn't express their gifts, you wouldn't want to see what it looked like if it was just me doing it. <clears throat> they do a lot of great things. There's a lot of help, and we've experienced that over the few years, the past years we've existed, how people step up and help each other in the church. That's a great gift that we have, and I pray we'd never lose that. Gifts of administration. Right? People have administrative gifts. They know how to handle certain things behind the scenes. I don't. And I'm glad we have people that are good administrators. That's not my gift. And various kinds of tongues, it says as well. It says, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? And all are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire their greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. A rhetorical way of Paul saying, hey, we don't all have the same gifts. Everyone has different gifts. And praise God for that. So we need to use those gifts. The point is that to serve one another. I want to read you one more section about gifts. And uh, go back one book to Romans chapter 12. And we'll get there in February to teach this more thoroughly. But in Romans chapter 12 is another list of gifts that the Apostle Paul addresses to the church. Starting in verse 3, it says, For through grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we are many members in one body... And all members do not have the same function. Again, uh, stressing that each and every person in the church has a different function. We cannot all be the same, have the same function. Or we would be one dysfunctional church. He says, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving. Again, some people are just servants and helpers, and we need that. We actually need that more than leaders. Obviously, you can't have you. Get, if you have too many leaders, what happens? <laughs> too, what's that say? Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Right? We probably work in our workplace like that. Maybe that's why it's dysfunctional. <clears throat> not my work, though. So. If they ever hear it on the YouTube, not Ganal Lumber. We're great. <laughs> we operate efficiently. 
if serving in his serving, or if he teaches in his teaching, or if he exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, those are gifts as well. Some people are very merciful, and we need that. Some people need to to be given mercy over and over again. I know I do. And some people are great at giving. You know what amazes me is that no matter what the size of this church, when it it expands and it shrinks, the giving has never went down to a certain extent. I'm just like, I'm amazed. I'm like, I don't know how the Lord does it because sometimes I'm like, and and Pastor David could attest to it because he's been a pastor longer than me. Sometimes we're like, I don't know if we're going to be here next month. And then all of a sudden the giving just like, boom. And, you're, and every time we go through it, as a matter of fact, at one of our, I'm going to give you some insight into the back room. No. I remember one time we were like really worried and, and David's just like, you guys, you're like, you guys have no faith. I've seen this before. And we're like a little stressed out. And then the next month it's like, boom. And David's like, see? So now I watch David like I do stewardess on the airplane. If the stewardess on the airplane, if the stewardess on the airplane freaks out, then it's time to freak out. So when I see Pastor David freak out, then I probably start freaking out. You're like, hey, Robert, have faith in God, not Pastor David. <laughs> but praise David for that. He has a lot of faith. <laughs> so serve others in your church. Have faith like Pastor David. <clears throat> so how do we accomplish this mission again? Let's not lose sight of where we're going. Be filled with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Seek God. Serve others in the church. And then... Lastly, can you guess it? Share the gospel. Again, that's our whole mission, seeking God, sharing or serving others, and sharing the gospel. At some point, we need to go out and share the gospel. And this is what um, Jesus told the disciples. Hey, they were to start in Jerusalem, their local, and then spread out and spread out and spread out. That's what we are to do as Christians as well. So we share the gospel, obviously, within the church to help each other grow. And then in turn, each and every one of us should go out and share the gospel using your gifts, right, that you use in the church. And maybe you could do that as well outside the church. Share the gospel with those outside the church. <clears throat> There's, we all know somebody who's not a believer. And how do we reach that person? Well, first of all, you need to pray and pray and pray and pray. Because sometimes they won't listen to you. And, you need, and I would encourage you to pray for somebody else to reach them. Because guess what? Sometimes our friends and families, they don't listen to us. So it needs to be somebody else that's going to reach them. But each and every one of us needs to be a witness. And guess what? Each and every one of us is a witness. And I'm going to read this uh, quote, and we'll end here. Um, This is by Pastor John MacArthur about witnesses, about individual believers and their witness. It says this. He says this. There is a sense in which believers do not even choose whether or not to be witnesses. They are witnesses. And the only question is how effective their witness is. <clears throat> That's very convicting. Each and every one of us is a witness. If you call yourself a believer, you're a witness. You have the Spirit of God. People are watching you live. You've, you've already proclaimed that you're a believer, right? And now people watch you even more. And when you slip up, don't they let you know that you slipped up? Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Christian, you know, holier than thou, look at what you're doing. And we're not perfect at all. But guess what? We're called to be perfect. The Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. Why? 
so that nobody can look at our life and use that as an excuse not to come to Christ. So our effort should be to strive to be holy and not use it as a license to sin. Well, I'm not holy. I'm going to sin, you know, and God will forgive me. And that is true. But your witness will be lessened by those around you. So I know, you know, for me, I, I really strive to, do, to be a witness so that nobody can say anything about me. And they still do believe me, I'm sure. <clears throat> if you go to my home, my kids can tell you all the bad things I do. That's really how you find out how your parents are, right? Or ask the kids what's going on. But we need to even be an effective witness to our children. They're watching as well. And it's not so much about what we say, but it's what? What we do, right? And the world is the same way. But be an effective witness. And this is one resolution, even though we're not there for next week. We can do, let, let's all do our best through the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective in reaching this world with the gospel. That's our mission. Our mission is to go out to Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the remotest parts of this earth with the gospel. So until Christ comes back, let's do that as individuals and as a church. Let's pray. Lord God, we first are so thankful for your grace and mercy towards us because each and every one of us knows that we blow our witness every day. Sometimes we blow it in front of people and sometimes we only do it when we're all alone. But yet, Lord God, you've promised to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins if we would repent. And we're so thankful for that again, for your grace and mercy of that, Lord God. Lord God, may we commit today and be renewed in our faith to seek you. Meaning, help us to mature more in our faith so that we can be a greater witness for your glory. Help us to serve others in our church so that we can help them grow in their faith and we would grow in ours also for your glory. And help us, Lord God, when we have the opportunity to share the gospel with those outside the church not only with our actions, but also with our words. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the right words to say to those who do not yet know you. And Lord God, for our family members and friends who might not listen to us, we pray that you would put somebody in their lives that would share your love, that they would see how much you love them. Lord God, that their hearts and their ears and their minds would be softened and open to hear the love of God that came at Christmas time and is still here today. And Lord, let us not lose hope. Let us not faint and grow weary of doing good. But help us to abound in good works for your glory until you come back visibly and reestablish the kingdom of God here on earth. We look forward to that day, Lord God, and we thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.